birth through a series of, of signs and, and wonders and miracles, and it was year after year after year that God was speaking to us about Zerubbabel, and I remember when I first heard it, I thought, I don't even know who that is. I didn't even know that guy was in the Bible. You know, he's not like on your top 10 list, you know, that, that they talk about all the time. And he's not top 10 character. You know, you got Moses, you got Solomon, you got all these guys that we all are familiar with and you learn about in, in, in uh, you know, Sunday school. But who knows this guy is Zerubbabel, right? But, I mean, he actually accomplished a lot. But what's even more compelling is that the temple that he built was actually a symbolic temple for the new man that Jesus came and birthed in the earth when he died and rose from the dead and came to live inside of us. Did everybody get that? All right, now repeat that to your neighbor. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I need some water. Right? Oh, okay, a big one. We have the big ones and the little ones. I like the little ones. Okay, um, so I wanted to share with you a prophetic word. How many of you were here when Jason Hooper came? All right, Jason Hooper gave us a prophetic word um, when he was here, and he was talking to us, and he didn't know about a lot of the prophecies over the house. Of course, he knows that we're Zerubbabel, and so he obviously knows about the message of Zerubbabel. Um, but he didn't. what he didn't know is he didn't know a lot of the the prophetic words that the Lord has been giving us through dreams and through visions and through words um, from other prophets. So he comes here and he steps into that, that swirl, that prophetic swirl, and he takes it and he says, this is what God is about to do here. And so I wanted to share that with you because it's, it's really part of the message of what I'm going to be talking about this morning. So he came and he called, I don't know if you remember, he called Ashley by the way, he was pregnant with my third grandchild. Can we all just say, holla. She is really doing her part. Three babies in three years. Now that's what I call an overachiever. <laughs> uh, so he calls her and Jeremy up, and he prophesies over them, and he said, I see Hannah Grace over this baby. Of course, I don't think he asked if it's a girl. No, he said, Hannah Grace, and um, over this baby, and then he goes on, and he, he begins to talk about uh, the baby and, and, and what she'll be and what she'll represent, and it was just really precious. And then he says, you know, this is a time of grace, grace, and, and then he begins to speak about a double door of access, and he said, the Lord is giving to this house the Revelation 4-1 door and the Revelation 3-7 door. And, and then he goes, so, he, so he's talking about this double portion of grace. Now, I don't know if you guys remember when I talked about back in May when the Lord showed me the double door that he was presenting to us. And he said, our house is under construction, and the door that he's giving us is a double door. That is a double door of grace. Grace, grace. So we're going to have access to this higher place, and, and I'm going to explain to you what that means in, in just a little bit, but... But what's so incredible about this is that the Roberts, okay, wave, smile and wave, smile and wave. Okay, there they are. They're also having a little girl, and, and they have actually named their daughter Hannah Grace. Okay, and then Ashley and Jeremy are naming their daughter Jane Grace. 
And so uh, I was, I was, we were, we were praying together. The leadership, we were all praying together, and and really contending for this grace, grace message. And and I thought to myself, you know, if we could just name Ashley, if we can get Ashley and Jeremy to agree to name their daughter Grace, Grace, it would be awesome. And the Holy Spirit said to me, "Look up what Jane means." And so I did, and Jane means grace. So they're actually naming their daughter Grace, Grace. Then I'm talking to the Robert's and I'm telling them this story and they're like, this is incredible. We're naming our daughter Hannah Grace and, and Hannah means grace. So we have two people in the house that are having grace, grace. Oh, come on. And oh, by the way, they're due around the same time. They're going to have the baby. And he said, when this baby is born, this thing is going to break forth. Okay. I mean, grace is good. It's really good. But grace, grace is amazing. Come on, that double door. Revelation 4.1, Revelation 3.7. Y'all need to look that up. All right, we're going to use our Bibles today. I thought that would be cool. Um. So what he's doing is he's about to release a double portion of grace into the earth. Turn in your Bibles to Ezra 9.8. Now we are actually going to have this up on the screen. Look how cool we are, everybody. Ah. All right, can you see it? Can you see it? Really? Oh, Marvin, come on. All right. Ezra 9.8. Now this is Ezra who is, who is um, talking about the temple of Zerubbabel, okay? He is saying this. By the way, the books that talk about Zerubbabel are Ezra, which is an historical book. It talks about the building, uh, rebuilding of the temple. And, and then uh, you have the prophetic books, which are Haggai and Zerubbabel, and I mean, uh, Zechariah. So Haggai and Zechariah, it's incredible how they prophesy to Zerubbabel, but most of what they prophesy doesn't come to pass with that temple. So we know that what they're talking about is they're actually prophesying to the last day church. Okay, let's read it. And now for a little while, grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a peg in his holy place that our God may enlighten our eyes and give us a measure of revival in our bondage. Um, Father, I ask that you would come and that you would give us a revelation of what grace does for us and through us. I ask, Father, that our eyes would be enlightened. Father, that our eyes would be opened so that we can see what is the hope of our calling unto being revived in this hour. See, this is what I believe he's saying. He is connecting grace, and he's saying it is grace that causes revival to happen in your life. And he says that, that, that we have been given this grace to give us, number one, access to this doorway, to give us access that, that we now have a peg in the holy place, the holy of holies. We now have a peg, and that peg has our name on it. And we can go and we can ascend to this place and go through this doorway. And we now have an ownership in this place, and that's our peg. So it gives us a personal stake in the place of heaven. 
in his holy place that our God may enlighten our eyes. So revival is when our eyes become illuminated so that we can see in the spirit. And we're no longer uh, living and eating of the earth. And the thing that is killing us these days is that place of eating of the earth. Because we're looking at our circumstances with our natural eyes. And so we have no hope in our life. But when we look up and our eyes are illuminated and lightened, all of a sudden we're seeing in the spirit and are filled with hope because we see God and what he's saying to us about who we are and what we're called to do. Amen? And then he says this, and to give us a measure of revival in our bondage, meaning our earthly living, tilling the soil in the place of slavery, the place where we have no freedom. So he said that this place of revival, I'm going to actually come and, and, this, and this grace is going to set you free from all of the areas in your life where you're held captive. Yeah. All right, now we're going to go into Zerubbabel. All right, I'm going to give you the crib note version, okay? Because it actually takes me like 12 weeks to go through all of this with my class. So, all right, strap on your helmets. Um, here's who Zerubbabel was. Zerubbabel, I love that, led the second exodus from Babylon. Babylon means confusion. So what he did is he led the people of God out of Babylon. They had been there for 70 years. They had become accustomed to the Babylonian ways to the earthly ways, to the corruption of the culture that they were living in. Think about that, 70 years, and then you pick up and you leave. But see, there was only a remnant. Out of the millions that were there, there was only 42,000 that left with Zerubbabel. Isn't that incredible? So it was only a remnant that followed him. And what he did then, so he leads the second exodus. Moses leads the first. We all know Moses. Zerubbabel leads the second exodus out of Babylon, out of the place of confusion, and into the place, what's the opposite of confusion? Clarity and truth. So out of the place of the deception, where we're living in this deception, and into the place, so their eyes are being enlightened as they go into the promised land, into this new place to rebuild the temple. So then he builds the second temple. All right, we've got Solomon. Everybody knows Solomon, right? He built the first temple. Well, Zerubbabel then set up and build, built the second temple. So Haas has been named this by God through a prophetic history. And he's over the past 13 years, he's been revealing to us the message of Zerubbabel. And what's so cool about this, and, it, and it's the way he works with you as well, because each one of you has a promise and a calling on your life. And it's so interesting how he gives us nuggets, right? It's, it's almost like, he throws a nugget, and you walk, and you pick it up, and he throws you another nugget, and you walk, and you pick it up, and that's kind of the way he does it. Unfortunately, he doesn't show us, like, the whole picture, right? We get saved. Could you just give me a road map and tell me where I'm going, what I'm doing, and all of that, but unfortunately, that's not the way it works, and a lot of times, it's his grace and his goodness not doing that because if we knew, we'd get into pride or we'd get into fear. All right, um, So grace is the impotence of this coming revival. And until we understand his grace, until we understand how to walk in his grace, what we're going to do is we're going to be over here in the law or we're going to be over 
appear in the law. But it's only in when we're living in his grace and receiving the spirit of grace that we can truly step into that next level that he's got for us as a church. Because this thing is coming, and it's going to come upon the whole earth. But there are going to be a people that are actually ready to receive what is about to come. And they're going to be the remnant, and they're going to be the forerunners that are going to walk in it, and then they're going to begin to bring the rest of the church into it. That's good news. So I'm going to be talking about Matthew 25, the gospel of grace that Jesus talks about in Matthew 25. And I'm going to be talking about what Paul says in Romans 5 through 8, which is a portrait of living in this spiritual temple of Zerubbabel as sons of the kingdom. Paul began in Romans laying a framework of justification, sanctification, and then glorification. And he said to us, he said, listen, you can't justify yourselves. You cannot sanctify yourselves and you cannot glorify yourselves. And so he was saying that, that you have to, this has to be by the spirit and not by might nor by power which is the same thing he said to Zerubbabel. You cannot help this process. The only thing that you can do to help this process is to yield and surrender yourselves and to continue to die to the workings of God's hand in your life. So Paul begins to preach the power of the Spirit and the futility of the law throughout the entire epistles. And he makes a point. Remember, he tells them over and over again, why have you fallen back to the way of the law? Who has bewitched you? So the, the majority of the doctrine that he's dealing with is whenever they get out of the spirit of grace. And he's saying that this is the only plumb line is the place of grace. And when we get to the left and we get to the place of, oh, what is it called, Matthew? Wait a minute, don't tell me. It's called antinomianism antinomianism how about that turn to your neighbor and say antinomianism all right that's on one side of grace right that's to the left and that right antinomian is a free from the moral law so you think grace gives you the freedom to sin oh well there's grace right so so you're free from the law you're free from the morality of the law and then the other side is, is legalism. And that's the place where you think the law is the thing, and that's where you want to judge by the law. You look every, at everything by the law, and you have a very high standard of the law. And I loved when, when John was, was preaching um, in the intensive on the Father's love because he was actually dealing with an orphan spirit because people who operate in the law on either side of grace – what they're doing is they're actually operating in an orphan spirit because an orphan spirit has to try to manage their behavior. Wait, over here. Legalism. Manage their behavior and try to manage everybody else's behavior because of fear and I'm afraid and I'm an orphan. Or they're over here and they don't understand authority and they don't trust God's leadership. And so they're over here trying to do their own thing. And so there's a spirit of rebellion on them, and they're an orphan. Either way, they're an orphan. 
And so Paul talks to us in Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8, and he says the place that I'm trying to get you is that you would, you would access this spirit of grace. You would receive the spirit of grace, which is the spirit of adoption, so that you will be able to flow as a son because the ultimate place that I'm taking you is to a place of mature sons. Mature sons, the, what mature sons get is, is incredible versus what an orphan gets. Because the law doesn't work. I mean, the law is actually right. Paul didn't say that the law was wrong. He was like, the law is right and the law is good. But, but he said, you, you can't live by this. I mean, you might as well take a hammer and hit yourself in the head. Because you all end up in the same place anyway. When you try to live by the law, you're actually going to wear yourself out, wear everybody else out, and you're going to sin anyway. Right? See, the law is no longer written on tablets. Hebrews tells us that the law is now written on our hearts and on our minds. So when Jesus died on the cross, what he did is he took all the stuff in the temple and he brought it with him when he came within us. So everything that was in the temple, including what was written on the tablets, came within us, and it now lives there in the place of our heart and on our mind. The orphans of the law became adopted to this. The, let me repeat this. The orphans of the law became the adopted sons of grace, and we cry out, Abba, Father. The orphan, the orphans of the law became adopted by the spirit of grace so that we could cry out, Abba, Father. So that we could finally realize that we've come home and there's a place in his heart for us where we can finally be happy settled joyful full of full of hope that we've arrived at our dad's heart and that we're fully accepted because he made us just the way we are why wouldn't we be accepted just the way we are amen so Romans 8 tells us that creation is doing what? It's waiting. It's like, all right, we're waiting, we're waiting. Okay, the seasons have changed again. All of the lost, that's all of creation. That means, that means you and you and you and you. Oh, wait, the tree and the rock too. They're groaning, they're waiting, and they're groaning for what? The emerging of the sons of God. Why? Because the sons of God will set them free. Because the sons of God will step into the full authority that you were created to walk in. And you will begin to take dominion again. And you will begin to set all creation free. From sin. And from the futility of sin. So Jesus says this. What did he say in Matthew 17? He said, I did not come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. So he's saying, look, the law is going to still be with us. And he said, when he said, I came to fulfill it, he said, I'm going to make the law full on your behalf. I know that you can't do it, so I'm going to do it for you, and then I'm going to help you do it as well. 
I'm going to do it for you, and then I'm going to help you do it because the law now is within you. And in order for you to fully uh, walk this out and to fully take hold of your sonship, your, the law within you is going to have to become full. So if you have the law written on your mind and your hearts and you add to it the spirit of grace and adoption, what you are going to get are sons functioning in the fullness of their authority. Because when the law becomes full within us, that's the place of authority. That's the place where you have legal authority and you begin to step into the fullness of taking dominion on the earth. You become the legal head. You are joint heirs with Christ, seated with him in heavenly places. Does that make sense? Are you understanding what I'm saying? And so it's this place because a lot of us think, that are in the grace camp, we think, oh, the law, ooh, the law is bad. And he's saying, no, no, no. The law now is written on you. Therefore, I've come. And if you'll let the spirit of grace water this law, it will come to the fullness. And therefore, you will rule and reign with me. And it's the place where you become a king. God took the law and he made it full with the spirit of grace. And so we're called to be temples of grace. Turn in your Bibles to Zechariah 4. All right, this is where it's going to get fun. All right, Zechariah 4. It's right before Matthew. A couple of books before Matthew. All right, is everybody there? All right. So the angel appears to Zechariah, and he wakens him as a man that is wakened out of his sleep. Basically, what he's doing is he's actually stirring him, and he's stirring his spirit eyes. And so his eyes actually go from looking at things in the natural to looking at everything in the spirit. And he sees this angel, and he gives him a vision, which I won't go into right now. But this is the message that he gives him in Zechariah 4, 6. He said, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Now, Zerubbabel, is a, is a, he is a type and shadow of Jesus. Uh, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And he's saying this revival is going to come through his grace and not through Either one of these, the antinomianism or the legalism. And so he's saying, this is not going to come by might, and it's not going to come by your power. It's not going to come by the law, but it is only going to come by my spirit of grace. And then he goes on, and he says, who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone, meaning the finishing work, the last generation. In those days, a master builder did two things when he was building a work, when he was building a house or a building. He would lay the foundation. The workmen would then put up the walls and build the rooms. And then he would come when they were finished and he would lay the roof on top. So, so what he's saying here is that Jesus came 
and he, or, or Jesus is coming, and he's coming to bring the capstone, the finishing work. He's, going, he's coming with his grace to, to pour himself out into this last work, into this last uh, generation in human history. And he says this, he's going to bring forth this capstone with shouts of grace, grace. There is a double portion that is about to come upon the earth. There is, there is nothing more that needs to be done. But God is about to pour out a double portion of his grace so that we can access what's always, always been there. But there is, hasn't been a generation, an entire generation on the earth that has ever tapped into this. And even though there have been people in the latter rain revival and people throughout history, one here, one there, one here, that have actually tapped into this realm, there has never been a whole generation that has had access to it, like about what's coming on the earth. And so John 1, 16 and 17 says this, And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace, for the law was given through Moses, but grace in truth came through Jesus Christ. So, we, so let's go on. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. So he came, Jesus came, and he laid the foundation of this temple in grace. But he said the capstone is going to come with a double portion of his grace. And so he came and he laid the foundation in grace. And it goes on to say he laid the foundation at Pentecost of the temple not made by hands, and the law went within man. The first generation and the spirit made them full. His hand shall also finish it, and you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And he said, in the same dispensation, in the same way that Jesus came to lay the foundation, he is coming, but this time he is coming with shouts of grace, grace. So there is a double portion of grace, a double door that is available to his church to begin to go into the heavenly realm and bring what is there into the earth. For who has despised the day of small things? For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line or the truth in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord, which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. These are the seven eyes of the Lord, which are the seven spirits of God. This is what Jesus walked in, the seven spirits of God. It's in Isaiah 11, 2. I encourage you to read it. I'm not going to go there right now. But you can take my class, 1030 on Tuesdays. Then I answered and said to him, and, and so, so now Zechariah is saying to him, okay, now you've given me the message Hey, tell me about this vision that I saw. Because there were two trees, two olive trees, that had these branches that were draining golden oil that was pouring into a bowl that had seven pipes that were leading to the candlestick. Well, this is the candlestick, but it's not the same candlestick that was in Solomon's temple that was, in, that was uh, sitting in the, um, near the Holy of Holies. All right, so this is the seven, this is the candlestick that looked similar, but it wasn't the same. And so we know that the distance a candlestick has changed, don't stay with me, since the candlestick has changed its appearance, 
we know that what he's saying is there's a different understanding and dispensation of Jesus Christ. That he has now gone within man and he is no longer a candlestick sitting in a temple that has been raised by human hands. <clears throat> so when he says this, he's asking him a question about the, the golden candlestick and these two trees. And he says this, Zechariah says this to the angel, what are these two olive trees at the right of the lampstand and at its left? And I further answered and said to him, what are these two olive branches that drip into the receptacles of the two golden pipes from which the golden oil drains? And then he answered me and he said, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, Lord. And he said, these are the two anointed ones. Underline that if you have a pen and you are okay with writing in your Bibles. These are the two anointed ones that, who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. These two anointed ones, that, those words mean the sons of oil. These are the sons of oil that stand beside the Lord. Where do we stand? We rule and reign with Christ, seated next to him in heavenly places, and he's saying, these are my sons. And these are the ones, what is oil? It is the spirit of grace. These are the ones who have, are not operating in legal in the law, but they've actually tapped into this place of grace, and the grace has caused them to grow in hunger, that they move from a place of justification to the place of sanctification, and into the place of glorification that Paul talked about. And Paul introduces the epistles in this way. Because he's saying this is really important that you understand the framework of the process of growing in God unto sonship. So turn in your Bibles to uh, Matthew 25, 25.1. So we're going to talk about the five virgins, or the ten virgins, the five foolish and the five wise. Now, Mike Bickle has said that this is about intimacy. And I agree with him about intimacy. And Wait, I don't have this one. Matthew, did I say Matthew 25? Uh, Matthew 25, 1, then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. And while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out and meet him. Then all the virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and he said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you neither know the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. 
See, I believe this oil is the spirit of grace. They, they have, they carry in their vessel. And they carry it. And it is, it is that place where they understand that it's not by might nor by power. And they can't get themselves through this process of justification, of sanctification, and of glorification. But they have, they have leaned so heavily on the breast of Jesus. And they are so invested in becoming a son instead of an orphan. And they, they, they give themselves, even through the painful process sometimes, of becoming that adopted son. That they'll stand, they won't let any obstacle stand in their way of becoming that. Even in the times when God takes us around a mountain and it's very painful. And a lot of us actually, you know, a lot of the painful processes and the suffering that we go through is, is and the Lord is allowing a lot of this to happen. He does it because he's saying, I want you to be my son. And you're an orphan in this area of your life. You know, when I took John's um, intensive, when I came to his intensive class, I was like, you know, oh, this is really good. I'll be here to minister to other people and blah, blah, blah. Well, then the Lord, then the Holy Spirit started putting a, you know, showing me places in my heart that were still an orphan. You know? Even Paul said it. He said, listen, I have covetedness in my own heart. And the law has been brought to me, and the law serves a purpose because it shows me sin in my own heart so that I can, I can, you know, release it and repent, so I can release it to the Spirit of grace, so I can yield to that place and say, God, you got to help me because I can't do this on my own. I can't get rid of covetedness. But the sin and the wickedness in my own heart is hurting my heart. And I want to be a son and not an orphan. And so I'm just so thankful that John has pressed in on this. And, and so has, a, first of all, he has such a, a father's heart. Um, but he has such an ability to, to um, impart it. You know, somebody that carries a mantle they, of a father's heart and of the father's love, they can just give you a hug. And you feel safe, and you feel like that you can, you can keep running and you can keep soaring because there's someone who's got your back because they love you, not because they need you, not because they're using you, but because they just love you and they want you to succeed. I want you to see, I actually drew a diagram, yes. I was going to use the whiteboard like Matthew and Brad and be all cool, but that didn't work out too well. So anyway, I did this. Ta-da! All right, so here you have the grace that leads to revival. So we're saved by grace. So we're in that place of justification. And this is where you see that the church really is. And then let's go to the next one. So you've got grace to move on and grow. And then you have the place of sanctification. Now, this is really a place of priesthood where we begin to understand that we are priests before God and we're called to minister to God, right, and minister to others and let God minister to us. So this is a place, and you can see a lot of the things that are included in the activities of priesthood. Now, by the way, if I left something out, don't email me. 
I just do this together. This is kind of a this is kind of a one-eyed thing at 2 a.m. I I will text it to you, uh, or I can email it to you if you want it. We actually have the printer didn't work, so anyway, that's another story. All right, you can see that this is really where the remnant is right now. The remnant. This is where we're all living. God has released all throughout the earth a prayer movement. Without a doubt, this is God. This is the grace of God that has released a prayer movement to begin to stir up the priesthood for a purpose. And now what he's about to do is he's about to release a double portion of grace into this next place that we're all going. And we're going to begin to function as kings, and this is the place of governmental authority. Enlightened eyes, incredible worshiping, you know, that's coming from heaven with angels joining us in our, in our worship. The spirit of adoption operating in the seven spirits of God, led by the spirit, taking dominion, perfect obedience or close to perfect obedience. Governmental authority, Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. And then image bearers, this is the place of sonship. So we're moving from the place of, of not just being the church, and the church, it, actually, these people are going to go back into the church, and they're going to begin to get the church and move them along this highway, and so that they can also understand what it is to live in the place of taking dominion. This is the place of the fullness of the law, where Jesus said, I came not to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. I came to make it full. And you too are going to be operating in that fullness of the law where we'll begin to say, this right here isn't right, and I call it right in the name of Jesus. I call this right here. I say that, Storm, you will go no farther than this. I say that you will be healed, and the words that you speak will have such dominion and authority because it has the full legal promise of God on it. Kings reign. Kings reign in the earth. Amen? All right, so, um, yeah, that's all I have. I think we should pray, don't you? <laughs> All right, who understands Zerubbabel a little bit better? Raise your hand. All right, woo, I did it. That's so good. I'm very excited about that. See, Matthew? Matthew and I were in on the whiteboard trying to put this whole thing together. Oh, next week. I'm going to be talking about part two. I'm going to be really, we're going to be going and doing a deep dive through Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8. We're going to be talking about this process that we're living in and really how to, how to position ourselves to access this grace once it shows up. Because this thing is coming. Ashley's actually due in um, February 1. Well, you're due. She's actually due, which is the sweetest thing, on Valentine's Day, which is just a kiss from heaven saying, okay, those who are sons and who have turned the hearts back to the Father are really going to be walking in this place. And so, and Hannah is due when? January what? 12th, okay. So this should be fun. Grace, grace, right? All right, so let's pray. Well, Father, we just thank you for your word, and we thank you for what is coming on the earth. We thank you, Father, that you are pouring out a great revival. And Father, we just ask you for what you already want to give us. 
Go ahead and open your palms and raise your hands. We ask you for this double measure of grace. Father, we ask you for shouts of grace, grace, that it would fall on us. Father, that you would take your breath and once again breathe fire into your people. Father, that the oil of your grace would flow in us and through us. Father, make us your sons. Father, we don't want to be orphans in the place that we're orphans in our lives, in the place that we're orphans in our hearts and our minds. I pray that right now you would just touch that. You would just touch that with your Holy Spirit and you would show us through your goodness, through your kindness. We want everything that you have for us. We want to be sons. So we bless you this morning, Jesus, and we thank you for what you did for us and how you went before us and you prepared a way that we could have access to this kind of presence, that we could have access to this measure of grace. Father, I ask that we would be the huios, the mature sons of God. We bless you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.